This program is sponsored by Blazing Grace Ministries. This radio program is PG-13. Parents strongly caution some material may be inappropriate for children under the age of 13. Set me free. Jesus' mission was to comfort those who mourn, bind up the brokenhearted, proclaim liberty to captives, and open prison doors for those who are bound. For those who want more than status quo Christianity has to offer, Blazing Grace Radio begins now. And here is your host, Mike Janung. Hey, Mike Janung here. Welcome back to Blazing Grace Radio, coming to you from Phoenix, Arizona, and what's going to be, I believe, like a 65-degree day. And I know that people across the U.S., 65 degrees is sounds balmy right now. <laughs> We're supposed to be back in the mid-70s next week. So several months ago, I had Nagma Abedini Panahi on the program. And I read her book, and there's a lot of great takeaways on it that I think there'll be a blessing for us, good for us to hear. And so I've invited her back to the show. She made national news when she publicly advocated for the release of her then-husband, Saeed Abedini, who was imprisoned in Iran for his Christian faith. Through Saeed's imprisonment, Nagma was able to bring worldwide attention to the plight of the persecuted Christians and able to proclaim the gospel to millions across the globe by speaking at the United Nations, Geneva, the European Parliament, U.S. Congress, and she had personal meetings with Presidents Barack Obama and Donald Trump. <clears throat> when it came to light in 2015, the Nogma had been abused throughout her marriage by her husband. The Christian community suddenly changed on her and their treatment of her, they turned to Hunter, and she was harshly judged by religious leaders. Nagma, welcome back to the program. Thank you, Mike. I appreciate you having me back. And I read your book, and the title of it for our listeners is I Didn't Survive, Emerging Whole After Deception, Persecution, and Hidden Abuse. And I thought it was great, and you did a great job. Thank you. So, um... You talked about being, as a child, you heard God loves you on the radio, and then you guys moved to the U.S. where your uncle baptized you and your brother, and so God had your, had his hand on you at an early age, and then your parents didn't respond joyfully. How did they respond? Um, they actually, uh, we, we had grown up in war and, uh, we had to escape Iran because of a very horrible war with Iraq. And my dad actually said it's, it's worse than if we had all died in a war. He was devastated that we had lost who we were, our culture. Our full last name was, uh, uh Shariat Panahi means protector of the Islamic law, which, um, just by our last name, um, 
people could tell that we, uh, our bloodline went back to the prophet of Islam. And so my dad, that was his whole identity. It was his ticket to heaven. Um, and he just thought we lost everything. We lost our culture and who we were, and it was devastating for him. He actually considered uh, moving us back to the war, which at that time had reached a new level of um, danger with chemical warfares and so many people dying. Mm. So how did you thread the needle emotionally as a young girl wanting to get to know Jesus while your parents were vehemently opposed against it? Um, You know, um, they took away our Bible. When we were baptized, we were given a Bible. Um, They didn't let us pray. Of course, the Christian prayer is different. You know, we just would talk to God. Me and my brother, we both got saved at the same time. And um, Islamic prayer, you say certain chants in Arabic. Um, and you do a certain ritual washing and bowing and, um, and we no longer did that. And they were upset about that. Um, we just, they wouldn't let me and my my brother to pray together, even to talk about Jesus. Um, they tried to isolate us so we would forget about Jesus. We were about nine years old. Um, I don't know how, I mean, it was God's grace, how we kept our faith. Um, I had started reading the Bible that was given to me before it was taken away, and I read into, I read, it was a Psalm New Testament. I read a few Psalms, the first few Psalms, and then that's all I remembered um, until when my mom took away our Bible, and uh, that was the only verses I remembered for years. And I would pray those verses. Um, and I would pray for my family's salvation, and there was no indication that my parents were at all interested. Um, they were actually digging in their heels deeper. They moved us to Idaho. They were convinced by one of my dad's brothers not to take us back to Iran in the middle of a war. And so they moved us to Idaho, hoping that, you know, um, we, we did get a house in the middle of nowhere, that if we got, we were somewhere... Um, without the influence of the um, American Christians, that maybe we would forget about Jesus, and that didn't happen. It took about a decade, and um, my parents both accepted Christ and also our um, little sister. Mm. And you share the story in your book how your mom hit a big wall of depression. What went on there? Yeah, my mom uh, was a working mom in Iran, and she was not a housewife. She had been um, in the Iranian military, in the king's military. Um, She was pretty independent. When we came to America, she lost that independence. She didn't know the language at all. Uh, She didn't work. All of a sudden, she became a stay-at-home mom. Um, And she went through a very, very dark time of depression, uh, culture shock, depression, um, and uh, that's when she started reading the Bible that she had taken away from us. Mm. So um, that that actually started the journey of my parents becoming Christians, and we had no idea because Christianity was the forbidden religion. We had no idea that my mom, in her time of desperation with um, depression, had started reading the Bible, and uh, my dad had noticed the change in my mom and had asked her, what's going on? You seem different. You seem more at peace. 
And she told him very much afraid because my dad was probably the most uh, religious of, of even my mom was more of an agnostic Muslim, um, not as religious, but so she was afraid. She reluctantly told him, you know, I've been reading the Bible that we took away from the kids and there's so much peace as I read it. You know, I have so much peace. And, and just by her surprise, my dad didn't get angry and he actually started reading the Bible with her. Mm. And that's what led them to getting saved. They just, as they read it, they just, God kept speaking to them through the word and they um, could see the false religion of Islam, uh, the difference, and they both accepted Christ. Yeah, that was wonderful. I loved reading that. And so let's fast forward a little bit and to something you brought up that I think affects Americans in particular everywhere. You talked about how in one moment when you were in India, you had allowed the idol of comfort to supersede God. And so do we struggle with this same idol in the U.S.? Yeah, in India, at first, I was as I was reading through the Word, um, and then I was looking at, um, you know, walking around in India, I was thinking how silly it was that they were, um, I guess I'd never realized, like, how little the idols were. Mm. And so in my mind, you know, as I was reading the Bible, as I'm looking at um, the Indian culture, um, I was thinking, you know, this is so silly that they bow down to something like that. And that's where God convicted me that um, I had been raised from nine until when I went to India. I think I was like 21, 22, um, that I had been raised in a very comfortable. I, I went from war to uh, pretty, I mean, the first few years were tough as an immigrant until my dad found his footing and started a business. And we were pretty comfortable, um, went to college and um, and so uh, I realized there was things I couldn't let go of. I couldn't, um, the comfort of being in America, just by being in America is like, uh, even recently as um, I was laying in my bathtub, I was thanking God that I can do that because in Iran uh, and in a lot of countries that, you know, I work with a lot of the believers, um, you don't really get hot water, you don't really get water that much. You, We showered, you know, in, in the middle of the war, we got to shower um, once a month, if that, and um, water was limited, and you didn't have it all the time, and um, there was no such a thing as a bathtub to where you could just lay down, and, you know, and so... There was just so much in America going to a, to a grocery store where in Iran I would we would stand in line for five hours for a piece of bread. We'd go to a bakery. Uh, we were given like coupons um, and we couldn't you can buy 10 pieces of bread. Your family had a certain limit of how much meat and rice and food you could get uh, based on those uh, war coupons that the government would hand out. So it wasn't like you could just walk into a store or even chocolate or like luxuries. I I remember my mom once or twice a year would get me um, like cheese puffs, the Iranian version. And it was amazing. We didn't get Mm -hmm. snacks. Snacks was not a thing. It was if you had enough to eat, that was amazing. 
if you got meat once a month, that was amazing. Sometimes you didn't even have meat for months and months and months. And so I had really grown up in a comfortable um, country and um, going back to anything that took away from just being able to get in a car and go to the grocery store and get chocolate, get whatever I wanted and go home and I could bathe every day and I could. Um, so I realized there was a lot of comfort in America and I was pursuing the American dream. I was on the road to become a medical um, doctor. Um, I was up, upper middle class. My family was like more upper middle class. Again, my dad had started businesses and was doing good. And and I just got spoke to me into India said you're bowing down to so many idols. You can't uh, if if you know if you don't forsake all, uh, you're not worthy to be my disciple. And you're attached to your family. There's just all the good things, but not when they surpass. God, not when they become an idol. And so God really broke me in India um, and really spoke to me that uh, there was a lot of idols. Idol of comfort was the big one that I was clinging to. Um, Now, before I went to India, God had spoken to me to go to Iran, and I didn't want to. So I actually ended up going with my church to India instead, and that's where God really confirmed to His Word that, no, I, I want you go, to go back to Iran, which is something I was avoiding so much, because I, all I remembered was war, missiles, bombs, horror. And then I knew, now I'm a Christian, I left Iran as a Muslim, and actually our family was very much loved by the Muslim community because we were descendants of Muhammad. Now I was going back as a Christian, and I, I knew in the late 90s, early 2000s, uh, there was a lot of martyrs, people being killed because they were Christians. So I um, really wanted to avoid Iran, and God really spoke to me in India about idols um, that we have, and we don't even realize where we have, but we're not. A lot of times, having been raised in this culture and being in America, we don't realize things we're clinging to that, um, in a lot of ways, it's hard for us to let go to follow Christ. Amen to that. And then um, when you took the plane to go back to Iran, you had a challenge with a question on a customs immigrations form. What did that look like? Yeah, I went back um, 2001, right after September 11. Um, And if you do some history, some searches, uh, at that time, right up to that time, Iran had been killing a lot of Christians, Brother Haik, Brother Debaj, Brother Sudman. There was just a lot of martyrs. Um, that had kind of leaked out to um, other countries and media as people were talking about it. Um, And so I was very much afraid. I was flying into the Middle East right after September 11, um, into, at that time, President Bush was talking about a war. We didn't know Iran has been always involved in the chaos, um, you know, being... um, very much funding terrorism in the world. And so I didn't know if was there going to be a war with Iran. We didn't know if it was going to be Iran, Iraq, which country, what was going to happen, who was involved with the, um, with the September 11. At that time, there was a lot of questions that were not answered yet. So here I am flying into Iran, knowing that they're at the height of kill, killing Christians. And as the Bible says, the blood of the um, martyr is the seed of the church, you know, as, as, as the saying goes. And so uh, I didn't know I was on the verge of a revival. What was happening was so many Christians were being killed. 
but God was, uh, was, there was a revival about to happen. But what I was, I was afraid, I was afraid to go in as a Christian. And so, and all the forms in Iran, whether you're looking for a job or school or immigration, going into the country, the number one question is, what's your religion? And so here I'm writing my full name, Nagme Shariat Tanagi, means Nagme Protector of the Islamic Law, related to the Prophet Muhammad, and then it says religion. The moment I knew if I wrote Christianity, um, they were going to arrest me and I, they could kill me. That's what they were doing at that time. It was a high um, time of killing Christians. And so I got afraid. I put Muslim on the immigration form. And, you know, even just walking um, into Iran, I don't know if anyone has done that since the Islamic Republic. I know there's um, some people I know who have actually gone to Iran as tourists and had prayer walks. And so they, they might know what I'm talking about. But the moment you actually step in, it's you see the Islamic uh, Revolutionary Guards. They're, they've got their beards, they look. They have ang- anger, and they've got their guns. It was very intimidating. So yes, I wrote a Muslim, and I was devastated. I made it through immigration. I um, made it to my apartment that I was staying at, which was with my uncle at that time. And I just, I remember that night, I just cried and cried. And I said, God, I, how am I coming to Iran as a missionary? I can't even, like, I'm so fearful I'm so afraid of wanting to protect my life. Um, I can't even say I'm a Christian. How, what am I? I just felt so much con- of condemnation. I just felt so, like such a failure. Like, what am I doing here trying to be a missionary when I can't even write on the form Christian? So that was devastating for me. And I prayed to God. I said, God, if you give me an, another opportunity, um, I will not deny your name, which the opportunity came about three years later. Yeah, and so you're on that note. Go ahead and share that other opportunity. Yeah, so three years passed. I was um, um, part of a house church network. I was co-leading it with Saeed. Uh, we had been Saeed, which ended up being my husband. I met a very charismatic man, as my book describes. Um, 2003, was we were engaged, not married yet. We ended up marrying in 2004, but... Uh, we were very um, involved. We were at the verge. We got to see revival, um, and we got to lead it and see with our own eyes thousands of Muslims becoming Christians and baptizing them and starting churches in 33 city, cities that in Iran that had not had a church for 1,400 years. Mm. And so um, we... Um, it was exciting to be a part of that. And then, of course, there was a lot of arrests. Um, I talk about a few of them in my book, but there was a very, uh, most of them, it was just like God miraculously just gave us the right answer to give to these interrogators or these revolutionary guards when we were released. But this one, it just um, was very scary. We were blindfolded, attacked by revolutionary guards. Uh, we were about, we were visiting a house church leader when they just uh, attacked us, put us in cars, took us to this interrogation place. We didn't know where it was. It was in the middle of nowhere. And uh, we kept getting, there was me, Saeed, and there was another, um, it was the house church leader. And we kept being moved from room to room until um, just asking questions about our faith until we um, 
finally, I want to say three, four hours, it was probably early, um, early morning hours, probably three or four in the morning. We've been arrested like probably around 11 or midnight. After three or four hours, we were um, taken to this, I guess, the boss, the main interrogator who made all the decisions. And there was a revolutionary guards again, Iran, Iranian revolutionary guards are like ISIS. They're the, they're the crazy milit, um, milit, militants um, that the Iranian government has picked, handpicked to be the most violent. And so there was the revolutionary guards with guns. And we go to this bigger, bigger room that was a man at a desk and with pen in hand. And we were sitting in a row and it was like a, not a couch, but like a bench. And um, so they asked, okay, this is, this is your final thing. They, we'd gone through hours of interrogation and threats. And the man said, you know, this is the, your final opportunity. If you say you're Christian, um, you know, if you say you're Muslim, you can call your family right now and leave. If you say you're a Christian, you're going to die. If you guys, all of you were born, all three of you were born Muslims. Like, you can't say you're a Christian. That's illegal and that's punishable by death. So they asked my the house church leader. I was right in the middle, so that um, Said was on my right, and this house church leader that I don't mention his real name because he still lives in Iran. He uh, still serves the Lord in Iran. So um, he was sitting at my left, and they asked him, "What's your religion?" and and you know. Write it down, write down your test, write down whatever you want to write down. And then I just remember looking at that time, I could read Farsi more. I had been in Iran for years and um, I saw him write Shia. And it might sound very, very strange having been raised in a Muslim country, but I didn't know what Shia was. Um, and I, I was like, I looked at Tafayid and I said, Why, What's Shia? He's like, That's the sect of Islam Iran is. Like, how do you not know this? Um, and so I said, so I was like confused. Like, so this guy wrote Muslim and he's like one of our top leaders and one of our top evangelists. And so my heart dropped and I remember that prayer that I prayed to the Lord, like, don't let me fail you again. And I just said, God, everything, I remember just saying everything within me wants to say I'm Muslim and just go. And please just speak through me. Like my body did not want to say I was Christian. It was just trying to protect itself. And so the man looked at me and said, what about you? What, what's your religion? And just remember, if you say you're Christian, you will die. You will go to woman's prison. You won't be with your fiance. You'll be by yourself because it's a woman's prison. And that's where you're going to be raped, tortured and killed. This is what you deserve. And, um, I don't know, like a lot of people probably don't know this, you know, at that time, you know, having been raised in the purity movement, I was, had not been with anyone. And in, in Islamic law, before they kill you, they, uh, they rape their woman prisoners. They want to make sure. So it's, 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 a, it's um, a lot of the um, things that, so he, he was giving me the process of this is, you're going to be tortured and then you're going to be raped and then we're going to kill you. And then, um, so um, I just was, there was a lot of fear, but by God's grace, that moment, God just gave me the grace to say, I'm a Christian. And he, his mouth dropped. He did not, he could see um, so much fear in me. 
um, and he could not believe that I had actually said I was Christian. And then so um, um, he said, okay, and give me your testimony. It's basically uh, basically admitting to murder and then saying this is how I did it. So I gave my testimony. He came very angry. He became very hostile. He said, you were brainwashed by the Americans. You were only nine years old. You have a woman's brain, which is not because Muslims don't believe woman's brain is as complete as a man, even with uh, testimony. Like if someone sees uh, someone murdered, two women's testimony equals one man's testimony. So he's like, you're a woman, you, you know, and you were nine years old and you know, you were just, this, it was the American Americans that, you know, brainwashed you, and he was just so mad. And then um, he turned to Saeed, and he asked Saeed later, Saeed told me, he said, when you said I'm a Christian, and I saw, like, um, like I got the courage to also say I'm a Christian. We've got 30 seconds left, so I need to break in here, but audience, I want to let you know we're going to continue this conversation with Nagman next week and um, I love everything you're sharing and the courage you had I mean that was that was an unbelievable situation so thank you for joining us Nagman we'll have her next week so I encourage you to join us do you want to be free Blazing Grace is a nonprofit international ministry for the sexually broken and the spouse Please visit us at blazinggrace.org for information on Mike Janung's books, groups, counseling, or to have Mike speak at your organization. You can email us at email at blazinggrace.org or call our office in Chandler, Arizona at 719-888-5144. Again, visit us at blazinggrace.org. Email us at email at blazinggrace.org or call the office at 719-888-5144. This program was sponsored by Blazing Grace Ministries.